You know, one of the, one of the biggest challenges uh, we face today, I think, is, is knowing what is true. You know, we uh, have so many questions that could be asked, and uh, sometimes the answers are hard to find, especially these days. Probably the, some of the biggest questions that people are asking right now are, uh, you know, will this vaccine that is, is coming out, will it be effective? Um, you might be asking, you know, some, some people ask, well, you know, is the election process fair and is it conducted properly? Uh, you might be wondering, you know, all, are all these political ads on television telling us the truth about the other candidate? Is it give, are they giving us accurate information? We know they're giving us information, that's for sure. A lot of it. Um, what kind of person really is President Donald Trump? What kind of person is President-elect Joe Biden? You know, many people ask these questions, and the thing is, you could ask these questions to two people and get two different answers probably to every one of those questions. You know, we're, we're drowning in information, but we're thirsting for truth. And the question is, you know, how do we find out what is true? Um, we receive so much information, but it's sometimes difficult to determine what is true and and what is false? And you know, this predicament is not new to us in our age, uh, but this has always been true of every age. I mean, obviously, we have a lot more information coming our way than they did in the first century. Uh, but just like now, compared to then, one thing that remains the same, and that is news spreads. News spreads. And they had to wrestle with the same question we wrestle with, and that is what is true? You know, is what I'm receiving about this person or this event, is it true or is it not? Even though they may not be uh, receiving information, you know, they didn't receive information through Facebook and Twitter and the Internet and uh, even newspapers necessarily um, or social media or whatever it may be or cable news. They did receive information and news spreads. Now, I will say this up front. I, I do believe that there is a such thing as truth. I believe uh, there is an, ob- an objective reality, objective truth. And I believe our journey is one to seek out most accurately what is that truth. In other words, we must align ourselves to what is true. We don't make our own truth, but it, it, it is either true or it is not true. And we need to try to most accurately discover what in fact is true. And I don't have the time or the expertise to unpack all the answers to the questions I mentioned earlier about vaccines and elections and politicians. But what I do want to do over the next several weeks is to uh, seek to answer one question. And that one question is, who is Jesus and why should we follow him? That is the question. Who is Jesus And why should we follow him? And to answer that question, I'm going to be using the first four books of the New Testament called the Gospels. You know, one of the best ways to discover truth, whether it's about who Jesus is or uh, about any other person or event, uh, is to talk to those who are most familiar with the subject or who who were closest to the actual event or the subject in question. And the Gospels that we have in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels are the earliest and most reliable accounts we have of the life of Jesus. And so we're going to journey together through the Gospels from now until Easter Sunday, 
in order to discover the truth about Jesus, because there's a lot of incorrect information about Jesus. Uh, That was true in the first century, and it's true today as well. And so as we kind of wade through the sea of opinion out there, I want us to look to the Gospels to discover what is in fact true about Jesus. And as we begin this morning, I want to read from two of the Gospels that actually tell us why they wrote their Gospels. Uh, which I think will help us understand the content that we'll look at from here on out. First, let's look at Luke chapter 1. And in the first four verses of Luke chapter 1, Luke uh, is going to tell us, he's telling us in these few verses, why he is writing his gospel, which is very helpful. Uh, Especially if if you're like an English major, you have an English class, you know, this is kind of the thesis statement. Like, okay, this is why I'm about to read this paper. This is what you're trying to tell me. Okay, this is Luke's thesis statement, so to speak. He says this, Luke 1, verse 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So simply put, Luke is writing in order that the reader may have certainty concerning the things about Jesus. So so he's writing so that those who have been taught about Jesus will be more established in their faith. And so as we go on this journey together, uh, my prayer is that for those of you who follow Jesus, as we walk through this journey together through the Gospels, uh, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The second Gospel that I want us to read from is the Gospel of John. Uh, John also gives us a thesis statement, but he doesn't do it at the beginning. He does it actually toward the end of his Gospel. John chapter 20 Verses 30 and 31 tell us, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John recorded certain events in the life of Jesus in order to help you and me believe the truth about Jesus. And so as we go on this journey together, my prayer is for those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you'll do so as a result of what the Gospels teach us about Jesus. And so what we see is that Luke and John explicitly in a very short statement, uh, and also Matthew and Mark do the same thing, but more in an extended version of of this thesis statement. But all four Gospels... uh, do the same thing in the, in, in, in what that is, is that they teach us about Jesus. And their argument is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and if you believe in Him, you will have life, eternal life. So we have the question, who is Jesus and why should we follow Him? And we have the answers that the Gospel gives. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and if we believe in Him, we will have life. But the gospel writers give us much more than just the thesis statement to show that Jesus is the Christ and life can be found in him. And what we'll discover 
is that they include information about Jesus uh, prior to his incarnation. They tell us about the incarnation itself. They tell us about his growing up years and then spend a lot of time talking about his public ministry. And so all this information, all the information given in the Gospels is given to help you and me believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing we may have life in His name. So in the time remaining this morning, I want to share with you what the Gospels say about uh, the birth of Christ and His early childhood years, the childhood of Jesus. So let's begin with the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read that in the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So John begins his gospel by telling us that the Word, which we'll discover later in chapter 1, is, is referring to the Son of God, existed prior to Mary giving birth to a child. He tells us that the Word was God, and simultaneously was with God. And so this is one passage that helps us understand what theologians call the Trinity. You know, the, the Word equally shares in what it means to be God, and yet at the same time is distinct in person from the Father and the Spirit. So the simple definition of the Trinity is that God is, there is one God, that exists in three persons. But for the sake of our question, who is Jesus? John is telling us that the one who would be born of a virgin has existed from all eternity. In other words, Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem, but he pre-existed. He has always been. And yet something happened in that birth that was significant. And we're going to learn more about that actually when we drop down In verse 14 in John 1, John tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is the incarnation. This is the description of the Son of God taking on flesh, becoming a human being, and living living among us. So who is Jesus? John is saying that He is the eternal Son of God. That at a certain point in history took on human form in the person of Jesus. So that's John's beginning to his gospel. And this brings us to where Matthew and Luke begin their gospels. You know, Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. You know, this usually the genealogies, when you're reading through the Bible, you're like, okay, let me just skim through this real quick, you know. Um, no need to get bogged down in trying to pronounce these names. But Matthew begins his gospel with his genealogy. Uh, Luke also has a genealogy, but they, they are distinct, and yet they are similar. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. He begins with Abraham, and then traces Jesus' lineage through Abraham to King David, and then to Jesus. And Luke also has a genealogy in Luke chapter 3, which traces Jesus' lineage, but he does so in the opposite direction. He begins with Jesus and then goes backward and traces his lineage from, takes, he goes from Jesus back to King David, back to Abraham. And then what's distinct about Luke is that he takes it even further than that and traces it back to Adam, which is significant in that 
Luke is, is helping us see in his gospel, and we'll see this as we go through this journey together, that j- the significance of Jesus goes beyond Israel. goes beyond King David and, and Abraham, the people of Israel, but rather traces all the way back to what God began to do through Adam. And that the significance of Christ is for all the people. Another significant um, event that we see in the Gospels is that Matthew and Luke and all the Gospel writers are making an argument for the uniqueness of Jesus. And so when we look at the birth of Jesus, specifically Matthew and Luke spend a lot of time talking about the birth of Jesus. Uh, They use uh, the announcements of angels. You see a lot of angelic activity around the birth of Christ. You see Matthew especially using several Old Testament passages to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. Uh, And you also see God using dreams to communicate to people as, as Jesus is born. And so you see, okay, you're reading this and you're thinking, okay, there's something very special about Jesus. Uh, this is unique. Jesus is unique when he's coming on the scene. This doesn't just happen to, for every... I mean, we have some pretty fancy birth announcements these days, but nothing like this. You know, this is unique. This is something that we need to pay attention to. Luke also records, you know, spirit-filled declarations by Simeon and Anna in the temple when Jesus is approximately one month old. He includes the account of the Magi, which we talked about earlier in the songs that we, we sung Um, Luke includes the account of the Magi who visit Jesus when he is about two years old or less. Again, the significance of the story of the Magi is that Jesus being born is not just for Israel, but even goes beyond. You see the Magi coming out, people coming from outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish people coming to uh, worship the King, Jesus, in his infancy even. Another significant event that Matthew records is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, where Joseph was warned in a a dream uh, to flee to Egypt until Herod dies. And so here's what's significant about Matthew's account here is that Matthew's saying, okay, um, Joseph was warned in a dream that if he were to stay in Israel there around Israel, in Herod's, you know, um, area that he rules, Herod would seek out the child and kill him. And so the angel tells uh, Joseph to, to go to Egypt. And so this, this account of Jesus going to Egypt, spending time there, and then coming out of Egypt, the significance of that would not be lost on the readers, especially the Jewish readers. Because when you think about, okay, God's people going to Egypt... And then coming out of Egypt, you begin to think of the Exodus in the Old Testament. And this is something Matthew does throughout his gospel, showing that Jesus is the true Israel. He is the one who will fulfill all that Israel was meant to be. He is the true and greater Israel, the son, the only son of God. And so that parallel will be significant as we go through the gospel as well. And as we come to the end of chapter 2 in the Gospel of Matthew, we read in verse 23, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So now we have Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. They're in Nazareth, and Jesus is probably between 1 and 2 years old. 
That's where Matthew uh, ends in our chapter 2 of Matthew. But we have one other recorded event between uh, the time where Jesus uh, comes out of Egypt and goes into Nazareth when he's probably about one or two years old. We have one additional event that's recorded in the Gospels that is situated between uh, the time when Jesus comes out of Egypt and they settle in Nazareth all the way until Jesus is baptized by John when he's roughly 30 years old. And so we have one event recorded between the time when Jesus was like one or two years old until the time when he's roughly 30 years old. We have one event uh, recorded in the Gospels covering that time. And that one event is found in the the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 50. And what is significant about this event is that this will be the first time Jesus speaks in the Gospels. Up until this time, uh, people have spoken about Jesus, but we have no recorded sayings of Jesus, no recorded words of Jesus himself until we get to Luke chapter 2. Verses 41 through 50. And we have, a, we have on record a statement by Jesus himself. And the event happened when Jesus was about 12 years old. Jesus and his family went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when the feast ended, Mary and Joseph began their journey home with a large group of travelers. And after about a day's journey into going home, they realized that Jesus wasn't in the group. So think about your Home Alone, Home Alone 2, that kind of plot line. Uh, you're kind of going off and you're realizing we forgot something. What was it? It was Jesus. And so uh, he's, he's back in Jerusalem. They're trying to figure out what happened to him. And so they, after realizing, okay, Jesus is not with us, you know, they're a day into their journey. They turn around, they go back to, to search for him. And then in verses 46 and 47, Luke tells us that after three days, okay, <laughs> Just, just take that in for a minute. Three days, their child's missing for three days. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Again, Luke's trying to show you, okay, there's something unique about this child. Then Luke records in verse 48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, and all you mothers would not be surprised that his mother is the one who said this to him. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And in verse 49, we have the earliest words recorded that Jesus spoke. He said to his parents, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or some translations say, I must be about my father's business. So again, you see the uniqueness of Jesus. This emphasis of Jesus being about his father's business. uh, Being uh, concerned about what the father has for him. And then in verse 52, Luke tells us that, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so this ends the birth and childhood narratives of Jesus right there. Uh, we have this statement about, from Jesus that says, you know, I need to be about my father's business. And that's all we have of his childhood. 
And then the Gospels will pick up in Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, John chapter 1. They're all going to pick up where Jesus is going to be baptized by John. And we'll look at that next week. But there are three things the Gospel writers tell us about Jesus so far. The first is, Jesus is fully God. You know, the Son of God existed before the Incarnation. The second thing the Gospel writers tell us is that Jesus is fully man. The Son of God took on flesh. He was born of Mary. Three, Jesus is the long-awaited Christ. Now, this truth is inextricably connected to the Old Testament. And so you need to have some understanding of what God has been doing all throughout history to fully appreciate this claim that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Christ. And this is what I mean. If I had to sum up the biblical storyline in four words, these are the four words I would use. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, you know, God created mankind to be in right relationship with Himself, with one another, and with creation. Fall, but mankind disobeyed God and sought to live apart from God. And this disobedience brought great pain and disorder into the world, into all our relationships. And this is what the Bible says is wrong with the world. And then you have redemption. But in the midst of this brokenness and sin, God, who is loving and kind, extended His grace throughout the generations of humanity. And throughout the Old Testament, God promised to bring about a complete redemption through a deliverer. And this deliverer uh, in Hebrew is known as the Messiah. And in Greek is known as the Christ. He's the only one who is able to do what is necessary to accomplish God's plan of redemption once and for all. And then you have restoration. Not only would Christ accomplish redemption, but He would usher in the restoration of all things. So creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And this is the promise that you find in the Old Testament. This is what God is going to do through this deliverer. This is the promise that the Jews in the first century were longing for. They were longing to see this fulfilled. And the gospel writers recorded that Jesus is the long-awaited Christ. He is the Messiah. He is this Davidic king that will usher in the kingdom of God. He's the one who was sent by God to bring about the redemption and restoration of the world. So let me ask our question again. Who is Jesus and why should we follow him? Well, according to the first few chapters of the Gospels, uh, we should recognize the uniqueness of his conception his birth, and his childhood. And we should recognize the fulfillment of prophecy and the the announcements of the angels. And we see these come together to point to the uniqueness of Jesus. And this uniqueness is that Jesus has been sent by God into the world to save people from their sins. He is the one that fulfills the Old Testament promise. And this is what the gospel writers are trying to demonstrate through the content they have recorded. And so as we continue our journey through the gospels, there are a few things I want you to do. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, who offers life in His name, then I want want you to consider believing, placing your faith in Him, taking that next step of faith. And for those of you who follow Jesus, I pray that The uniqueness of Jesus' conception, birth, and childhood 
uh, may provide more certainty, as Luke says, uh, concerning the things you have been taught. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the Gospels. Thank you for uh, all the information they share with us about who your Son is and what He has done. Lord, we ask that as we journey together through the Gospels that you would bring to faith those who don't have faith. And for those who do have faith, would you strengthen our faith, establish our faith in truth, in the truth of who Jesus is. And we thank you for the sending of your Son. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.